0: I think communities and live events are going to become more powerful because we're going to be starving for that human connection. And I think the companies that can figure out both, right, we're never going to be going back to the office. At best, we're going to have hybrid workspaces, but I think it's the CEOs and the leadership teams that find ways to connect as humans and then find ways to connect via technology. They're the ones that are going to actually lead.
1: Hello, everybody. I am proud to welcome an old friend of mine, Cameron Harold, to this episode of the Gig Experience. Cameron has done a lot of amazing things, including the founder of BackPocket COO, founder of the COO Alliance, best-selling author, speaker. Cameron, do you want to give a little more background about what you've been up to lately And, and a world traveler? Every time I see you, you're in a different continent. Sure. Um, so yeah, You and I got to know
0: each other through the Entrepreneurs' Organization, which was really the first mastermind community that I ever really got involved in. I've since been involved in about eight different masterminds very at pretty deep levels, like four to five years plus in each of them. Um, but I, I got known for building a company called 1-800-GOD-JUNK. I was their chief operating officer, grew them from 14 employees to 3,100 employees in six years. But that was the fourth company that I'd built. I had two EO qualifying companies prior to that one that went on to become the largest collision repair chain in the world. It's called Gerber Autobody in the US and Boyd Autobody in Canada. And then we had a private currency company. So I'd been known for building all these companies quite quickly. When I left 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which is now 16 years ago, which is crazy, it's been that long, I started working behind the scenes coaching typically people with 50 to 500 employees. But I've worked behind the scenes with companies all over the world I've done paid speaking events now in 27 countries on every single continent. I got paid last year to speak in Antarctica, um, written, written six books. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, I started something called the COO Alliance. I also have a podcast called the Second in Command Podcast. That's about it. And I'm a, a father of two and I live on the road. My wife and I sold everything in North America a couple of years ago and we're full time traveling now.
1: That's great. How's that experience been? And how's that changed your perspective about running a business uh, when you're always remote? It's pretty interesting. I mean, it's
0: something that I've I've always you know traveled a lot, um, but I always believed that we needed to be more location based or certainly closer to our team, closer to our clients. But, you know, COVID certainly opened up that whole paradigm of, of the remote teams or hybrid teams. And then, you know, clearly we've had Wi-Fi for 20 plus years now and laptops for 20 plus years. And now we've got the tech stack to enable us. You really can be anywhere in the world. The big juggling component is time zones, right? I'm actually talking to you right now in Barcelona. It's 5 p.m. And I don't know where the heck you are. You're back in the Bay Area. What is it there? Like seven in the morning or eight in the morning? Eight in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's juggling time zones is the only real thing, but I've already had a great day. I've been to the gym. I got a massage. I've done some work. You know, I'm going to be uh, doing a few hours of calls. I'll have a Dinner doesn't start in Barcelona until 8 o'clock, so we'll go for dinner at 8 o'clock. Um, you just kind of, I have an amazing assistant who's been with me for eight years, and, and then my wife, who really is the one who's logistically planning everything, because we're we're really hitting a bucket list item every probably two or three weeks right now.
1: That's great. And I remember listening to a podco- podcast episode you did, I think, five years ago with then uh, the COO of uh, Grant Cardone's organization, and I thought it was very interesting. Granted, it was a 2018 interview. But In that interview, she was uh, very adamant that culture was built in the office and was very against um, remote work. Clearly, that was before COVID. Looking back on that and that conversation, what's your reflection on that? And What, what advice do you give to COOs and CEOs uh, now who talk about we want to have remote teams?
0: I, I, was, I would have concurred 100% with her. I'm sure I probably did on that
1: episode. It's funny that my
0: podcast has been out for almost six years now. It's crazy. I heard a funny saying years ago, and it's it was something to the effect of if if you want to make God laugh, tell him that you have a plan. And it's kind of like if you want to, you know, tell everybody in the world that you can only have culture if everybody's in the office, then COVID hits, you go, whoops, I guess we have to have culture outside. What I've noticed over the last three years, and I mean, I've spent I've been been very well known in the culture space. I've coached companies all over the world that have gone on to rank number one in their country to work for. Um, and I, I'm not going to rattle off the list, but it's it's in the dozens of companies that I've worked behind the scenes on on their culture. I used to believe it had to be in the office, and virtually every single aspect of what you can do in an office, you can actually do over tech, over Zoom. What's tough is the interpersonal relationships. What's tough is the real connecting with people. So offsites, you know, when you used to have like the in-person office, and you'd go offsite to to go somewhere. On-sites are the new off-site, right? Like getting everybody together in an office or getting everybody together in a physical space is, is equally as important as getting everybody out of the office used to be. And companies now really have to focus on getting their teams together. And now I'm ta- not talking if you're a 500-person, 5,000-person company, you're not going to get all 5,000 people together, but you're certainly going to get people together in regions, in work groups, in business areas. But it's important to, to build the connections as a team. But culture starts with alignment with vision, alignment with core values, alignment with core purpose, alignment with the BHAG, you know, alignment with your vivid vision. And when you have all those components really locked and loaded, you have the right people pulling in that direction. Then you can leverage technology to kind of amp up the culture side of things. You can, you, you can leverage Slack. You can leverage, you know, there's, there's tools that you can leverage to connect, but it is, it's tougher, but we're not going back.
1: And you wrote a book called Vivid Vision, so you know of what you speak.
0: Yeah, I wrote a book years ago called Vivid Vision. It's had almost 1,000 uh, reviews now on Amazon. The, the idea with, with culture is getting complete alignment with your employees, your customers, and shareholders, so, and all the employees so that everybody can see what the CEO can see. And if everyone is completely aligned with what the company looks like, acts like, and feels like three years in the future, they can start reverse engineering to make that happen. And that doesn't require you to be in a physical space, right? You know, I can share with you a five-page description of what the COO Alliance looks like, acts like, and feels like three years in the future. We share it with the world. So everybody's trying to reverse engineer every sentence of that document to make it come true over time. That doesn't require a physical space. you know. But I think we as leaders have to be very cognizant that you're going to lack the human connection um, because people are remote. You know, my youngest son right now is, second year university, wants to work in a marketing agency in Vancouver. And he's like, I don't want to work remote. Like, I want to be around people to get to know them and learn more. And I'm like, you may have missed that opportunity. Like companies, you, you, he might have actually missed the opportunity to ever work in a physical space.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. My son just graduated university last year and started a job. And he started remote. And, um, you know, the HQ used to be in Paris, and they moved it to New York. They actually gave up their Bay Area office. And his manager is, you know, two hours away, but now the company said, oh, we're going to get together, you know, at a cadence in San Francisco so everyone can meet, Um, like you said, to reinforce those uh, relationships. That being said, what do you think is a proper cadence? What, you know, groups or teams, how often should they be meeting? Uh, Is it once a year? Is it twice a year? Is it more to kind of build on that internal culture and cohesion? I think it's based less around how often
0: and more around about what. So it's really about what are the people meeting. You know, you've got your annual planning meeting, you have your quarterly planning meetings, you've got your financial reviews, you have your business area reviews. you have um you know business area planning sessions, you've got your weekly coaching, you've got your one on ones, you've got your daily huddles. so there's there's different types of meeting rhythms that you need to have baked into your calendar. And then you need to decide which of those are important to have in person, right? It's truly the annual and quarterlies that really are going to be best about the in-person. And often those are the leadership team and management teams, but then it's opportunities to pull the whole team together. And it's also thinking about how do we get our employees to spend time together differently than we used to? So an example, I just held a COO Alliance event last week. It was an in-person three-day event in Scottsdale, Arizona. And normally all of my employees would have stayed in a hotel with the rest of our members. But now because we're all dispersed, I rent a big ass Airbnb and we all stay in an Airbnb together. All the members stay in a hotel, but we're in an Airbnb a few miles away so that we can wake up in the morning, chat with each other, sit around at the end of the day, chat with each other, kind of just feel like we get to know each other and spend a little bit more time together. And I think we have to be more cognizant about that and push for those opportunities more. The other part is, you know, you miss that kind of casual conversations. And so if an annual planning meeting used to be a two day event, you really want to turn it into a three or a four day event now so that employees have some more casual time, some more free time to spend time. You don't fly in, run the meeting and leave. You kind of fly in, spend a little bit of time, run the meeting, spend a little time and then you leave
1: great great so um i mean i think that's an interesting use case because your co alliance is pretty much a virtual online community right people from all over the world we have
0: two components to it we have the monthly online events and those are the 3 hour online events we've got members from 17 countries they have a minimum of 5 million in revenue to qualify our largest is about 1.2 billion in revenue and then we also have two in person events every year uh, one is held out on the west coast either in scottsdale arizona or vancouver canada and the other is held out at Endicott House at MIT. So we're we're kind of hosting ours where the uh, entrepreneurs organization has always hosted their entrepreneurial master's program. We're now hosting our event
1: there as well. That's great. So um, with the in-person event that you just had, how, um, you know, looking back on it, you know, just a week, two weeks ago, how would you say that really enabled the community or how was that additive to, you know, the other activities that you have?
0: It's funny. About a year ago, I sat down with my wife and I said, the next big COO Alliance event that we run, we call it the COO Connect, I'm actually going to run it at break even or even prepare to lose money on it because I need to get as many of our members together as possible to really connect with each other because that's going to drive the lifetime value. It's going to drive their engagement. It's going to drive their net promoter score. It's going to drive their connection with each other. We ran the event. It ended 10 days ago. Um, 25 of them instantly signed up for the September event. We've only ever had 25 people showing up at the events in the past, and we had we had 46 at this one, we got 25 already paid for next September. We'll easily sell out. The net promoter score was positive 80%, which is very, very high for a net promoter score on an event, but our members were literally fired up because they got to know each other. And they've been getting to know each other in the three-hour events over Zoom with the breakouts, but two and a half days together, they re- and i really worked hard at making them get to know each other so i think we just really saw that that it is super powerful that for them as much as the online community works and the online community has value and we got a, but a positive 64% net promoter score over the last few years now running them online every month it's just something different when you can get them together in person as well
1: yeah i mean i feel that too now that kind of conferences are back i've been at a variety of conferences the last few months and you know i find the the kind of art of serendipity is so important you know like it becomes kind of like a you don't know what you don't know i, I just was at a big crypto event um last week uh called consensus right and all these different providers were there and doing different things and people you know people came up to me hey mark we worked together in 2018 and i'm like i didn't remember who that person was but you know we have an instant reconnect and so that That wouldn't have been a uh, that wouldn't have been possible on a Zoom score in the same Zoom call in the same way it was kind of bumping into each other physically.
0: I can tell you for for entrepreneurs, you know, we've got the Entrepreneurs Organization and YPO and Vistage and Genius Network and a gazillion groups for entrepreneurs. I think those are going to become more and more valuable and more and more important as time goes forward as we need the human connection and we need to connect and we need that shared brain trust. It's one of the reasons why I started the CO Alliance six years ago as well, is I wanted to give them a space. But I think communities and, and live events are going to become more powerful because we're going to be starving for that human connection. And I think the companies that can figure out both, right? We're never going to be going back to the office. At best, we're going to have hybrid workspaces. But I think it's the CEOs and the leadership teams that find ways to connect as humans and then find ways to connect via technology. They're the ones that are going to actually lead.
1: Now, you've been in many different parts of the world. Do you see a difference in the way people work, let's say, in the Middle East versus Europe versus Asia versus North America? Wow, interesting question. Um, Well, first off, COVID
0: really did hit all of them, right? The the countries all over the world, they got impacted. There is no difference in terms of the hybrid and remote teams. That's, That's become fairly global fairly quickly. You know, a client of mine based in Indianapolis lost one of his mid to senior level people to a company based in Luxembourg. Like, how does that even happen anymore? And then he's not moving. He's going to stay working in Indianapolis for this Luxembourg. So the world's become very flat and very connected. I think that the differences are there's difference in terms of cultures and the way that they operate at, at kind of the soft skills, the leadership, the, the way that humans connect. That's definitely different globally, but I think the rest of it has become fairly ubiquitous fairly quickly. There's also, in the Middle East, I'm actually in the process of moving my residents to Dubai. I've already moved my companies to Dubai. Um, So the United Arab Emirates is very quickly adopting a lot of the Western cultures because they're moving off the oil. and, And even Saudi Arabia is really relaxing a lot of their rules and trying to attract tourism dollars and trying to attract foreign investment. But Dubai is almost as entrepreneurial or more than Austin, Texas is, and, and you know which was kind of equal to what the Bay Area had been, right? It's incredible to see the, um, the adoption of technology, the business events, the, the mindset um, is very, very entrepreneurial over there.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, if we could take a step back and you said you started the COO Alliance six years ago, walk us through what you saw as the need for a chief operating officer versus a chief executive officer, where you see the split of who does what and how those two roles collaborate and are symbiotic, or if they're very separate.
0: And I played that role a few times over my career. So I had a bit of an insight glance into what the role of the COO is. I think Gina Wickman, who wrote the book, Traction, created the EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, did a very good job of talking about the visionary and integrator. And that's kind of what the the CEO, COO is. The CEO is the one that has the vision. The COO is the one who makes it happen. Um, I think Thomas Edison said, vision without execution is hallucination. So you can't just have the ideas. You need someone to put that in place. And it's very rare as a company scales past 30 to 100 people. The CEO often doesn't know how to do it. They need the team of people that know how. And a lot of the soft skills of leadership is what the COO tends to bring to the table. We also bring to the table the areas of weaknesses of the CEO. So it's a very different role. I would have been a horrible COO for probably 95% of our COO Alliance members because I don't line up perfectly with their CEO like I did with Brian or with Steve White or with you know Terry Smith. That there's a... A lineup of core values and core competencies. And I have to be really good at the stuff that they suck at. And I have to love working on the areas that drain them of energy. And in some companies, that means, like at 1-800 Got Junk, I was a very outward-facing COO. I was biz dev, I was sales, I was marketing, I was PR, I was doing speaking events, I was culture, I was operations. And in other companies, the COO was very inward-facing, very tech, very engineering. In fact, the current COO at 1-800 Got Junk, who I've known for 35 years, he is a very inward-facing COO. He will never speak to the media. He will never do speaking events. I had to beg him to contribute to my book, The Second in Command, because I wanted his insights. He would have been a horrible COO in the seven years I was there, and I would have been horrible in the time period that he's been there. But he's a very different. Uh, it's a different time, right? So right. the COO is all about the season that we're running the business in, and the CEO and what they need at that
1: particular time. It's a tough role. So, So do you have a tool or some sort of assessment to help a CEO figure out who she needs to be their second in command? And conversely, do you have something for your COOs to help understand what type of CEO they would mesh best with? Yeah, I
0: have a couple. So I have the book, The Second in Command that just came out in January. So it just came out a few months ago. I was getting huge reviews globally right now because I really have uncovered what a, what a real second in command is. We're not talking visionary integrator. We're talking typically 50 to 5,000 employees, right? If you're looking for a second in command of a real company, I talk about what one really is and how to find them and how to bring them into the organization and how to build a relationship and the kind of the true yin and yang relationship. And then I have two scorecards as well. One, the CEO kind of does a scorecard of their current second in command, whoever that may be. And regardless of of what your titles are in a company, you have someone who is second in command to you. You have that de facto person that you turn to when it could be an executive assistant. It might be a director of operations or a GM. It's typically someone who is focusing on getting the stuff done for you so that you can continue to drive vision and culture, right? So I have a scorecard that the, the CEO will do for their second in command to rate them in eight areas and then i have a self assessment that the coo can do as well to assess their own skills on these eight core areas that we see coos needing to be strong in
1: got it and so um as things have changed um you know specifically i'm thinking about just the last year the explosion of ai onto the scene you know the concern about you know right now in uh, in the united states we're having a um, a writer's strike for all the content creators, and now they say there's a director strike. And I just read an article the other day saying it's purely about ChatGPT because yeah, like once you, yeah, once your content is there, it's now in the matrix, and so you know, ChatGPT or any other AI can now recreate derivatives of your content, and you're never going to get paid. You know, what? Is, what's your thought about? how AI is transforming the way companies work and what people should be thinking about? I think it's exciting.
0: I think the future is exciting. I think it's it's kind of like, I saw a saying years ago and it said, if the rate of change outside your business is greater than the rate of change inside your business, you're out of business. And if we're going to hold on to like, these cars are dangerous. We should always drive horses, right? Or, you know, we should always meet in offices or we should never, like I, when I started at one to got junk Brian laughed at me with a laptop and he goes, what are you gonna do? Walk around from meeting to meeting with that thing? I'm like, yes, actually. And three days later, he owned a laptop. So we can't slow down progress. We have to embrace it. We have to get ahead of it. Do you know that currently there are 4,030 different ai tools that exist for free on the internet today everyone's talking about one of those tools chat gpt there's another 4029 of them um, there's an amazing online resource called there's an ai for that i'll drop it into the chat for you right now we can share it with people but it's extraordinary to see what's happening out there so what i'm doing is getting our co alliance members to geek out on ai and check out lots of these different tools on a weekly basis to see what they can do. But it was I was just at the main five-day TED conference two weeks ago, and it was the biggest discussion at the TED conference of some of the best thought leaders in the world on not just chat GPT, but what's happening with our, as an example, who owns the Mark Friedler likeness? You know, I could take an image of you and create a video and have you starting to say stuff, but do you own that or do I own that now? Like, we don't even know who owns, like, so do we copyright ourselves? Like, do we, like, we don't even have, we haven't even thought through how fast this is going. But yeah, I think, I think, you know, they talked about, about surgeons and doctors. It'll be malpractice to be a physician and not leverage AI like chat GPT before giving a diagnosis because it's more up to date than any doctor on the planet is. So do we want to slow that down? No, we need to speed it up or we need to certainly embrace it. And yeah, there are a lot of jobs out there that are going to be out of work. You know, I saw a CEO sitting on a plane 20 years ago and he was typing like this, two-finger typing. I'm like, if I was your board, I would fire you within 3 weeks unless you could get up to 65 words a minute. I mean, I'm I'm serious. Like yeah. you cannot be an executive and not type at 70 words a minute anymore, and then you need to understand the technology tools to leverage that and automate and optimize all of our work because this is why 25-year-olds can kick the ass of a 60-year-old at work today. A 60-year-old's going, oh, I have 40 years experience. No, you don't. You have five years experience eight times in a row. You've been doing the same thing for 35 of the last 40 years. You get a 25-year-old who's got two years experience and the technology skills to kick our ass. So as companies and as leaders, we have to embrace AI. We have to get 25-year-olds to teach us all these different tools. We have to start showing people what's, what we're working on and find out ways to optimize and automate and leverage AI. I think companies like yours that can actually go out and not only investigate the tech stack that we're using but show us how to optimize and automate things that's the future of work
1: and yeah, and I mean, I think about you know Southwest Airlines in december of twenty twenty two right around christmas they had a a literal meltdown right the um the there was a perfect storm, the weather was bad, it was a holiday travel and their system literally collapsed. And so when I explain that to people, I'm like, did a plane crash? Did pilots stop knowing how to fly? No, it was actually their booking system. There was an archaic booking system that couldn't handle all the permutations of rapid change. And it literally was like, "Ah, ah, ah," you know, smoke coming out of it. And then on top of that, everyone started calling them. And their call center couldn't handle the volume of calls. So their call center collapsed. So like here, two very clear examples of the technology causing the core business, which is getting people from point A to point B on an airplane to not function. And that's, I think, uh, an important thing that now a lot of executives are like, okay, technology, we need to make sure it's a competitive advantage and it's not a stumbling block for us. And many times it becomes like a gee, I didn't know our booking system sucked. Oh yeah, now it's under stress, and you know we found out it sucked. Well, I think I think this is where companies need
0: to inspect what they expect, and we need to start embracing technology and getting way ahead of that wave faster. And we need to get a lot of baby boomers to start to to realize that the true wisdom that they can embrace is the is the wisdom of the the Gen Z, right? It's looking to the twenty five year olds to twenty seven year olds and saying teach me stuff show me how i can do this work faster to optimize it to automate it to outsource it to leverage ai show me cuz but if we sit in our corner offices pretending that we have our shit together we will be the next blockbuster right we will be out of business
1: well yeah i mean let me take an example from canada a company that one of my favorite companies uh shopify right they've done an amazing job not just creating shopping carts but meeting the customer where they are. So, you know, now I look at my 23-year-old son and he'll see an Instagram ad, he'll check it out. It'll be tied into the store. He'll go buy, you know, a drop of of a new hot sneaker all from Instagram or from TikTok or Facebook. And the irony is on the other side, you have these companies that are, you know, that manage these call centers. And these call center companies have been just that. If you don't call on the phone, they haven't dealt with it. And now, you know, as of a few years ago, they've discovered Omnichannel, where it's like, oh, wow, we have customers on social, we have customers texting us, we have customers, you know, watching videos on YouTube. How do we bring that all together so one of our people, an agent, can see all the inbound demand and deal with those people where they want to be dealt with? Yeah, when it, you mentioned
0: Harley. Harley was, I think, the first guest on our um, Second in Command podcast as well.
1: Companies have to get ahead of this curve. And so, I mean, like I said, uh, there's this other company I'm dealing with now. It's a hyper growth uh, pharmacy. And they're trying to figure out, you know, how to deal with people in an efficient way. And um, the great thing is that the CIO is open to rethinking it. He's like, well, you know, we're going to use this big company for the, our database and this big company for our ERP but they need a flexible way to interface with their customers. You know, the customer experience is so important. And, you know, there's another airline whose name I won't mention that every time I call this airline, it's literally an hour wait. And I'm like, how do they, you talk about net promoter scores, right? How do the people in charge not know that their customers are on hold an hour? Do they not care? Is it not important? I can't understand this when businesses have that sort of, you know, messed up operation. I, I think sadly, so many of them are
0: operating with a tech stack that is outdated. They're operating in the past. They don't have a vision to inspect what they expect. They're they're not leveraging this next phase of technology. Or or they're so stuck in the fact that this is the way we've always done this that they don't realize how fast the speed of change actually is. Like this literally is is, I mean. Technology every year is doubling, right? The ability to to do more um, Moore's law talk, talks about about the, the speed and the and the cost of it is that these are technologies that would have been unthought of thirty years ago, and now they're free, right? And and how fast you can work on stuff. So yeah, if companies aren't aren't ahead on every single area of the tech
1: stack; they're out of business. And is that a role for a COO? CEO, CIO, what's the interface? Like how do you have that conversation internally about, hmm, what, are, are we doing the right thing? Are we up to speed? Who, whose responsibility should that be?
0: Yeah, what's interesting right now that we're noticing is most COOs are starting to have to have very strong abilities or competencies in the tech space. Um, that it used to be that you could have a COO who would manage somebody who was good in tech. The COO needs to at least be competent in tech and understand tech because it's all tech now. Right. You know, 30 years or 20 years ago, it was, well, we're an online or an offline business and an online business. Everything's online. Like, even the most offline businesses are online now. So, there's so many just areas of technology that are touching the businesses that they have to actually be competent in that.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the service we offer, you know, at GigX is. We become the partner to them. We're like, okay, let's tell us what you're trying to do in the business. And we then translate that into here are the different things you might want to consider in terms of technologies. And then based on that, let's find the best solutions and the best vendors that work best with you and your culture. And, that, and that's where companies
0: like you are so invaluable as well, because there's often people can't afford to have the two hundred and fifty dollars or $350,000 CIO but it's almost irresponsible to not get a company like you to be kind of that interim and to look into the different areas of the business for them, right? You can't ignore that these are things that companies need to look into.
1: Yeah. And there was that saying back in the day that no one got fired for buying IBM, you know, or Oracle or what, you know, Cisco, whatever large name you want to put in there. But, um, you know, IBM or Oracle or Cisco may not be you know what you need right now to be nimble and to, to serve your customers i think you would
0: get fired by buying most of those brands these days like again the rate of change is so much faster right i have a friend of mine in, in uh, vancouver another entrepreneurs organization member and this was gosh this is 10 years ago he turned to his head of it and he said for the next 12 months the goal of it is to find 12 expenses in the company and replace them with 12 free software solutions you're not allowed to build anything you're not allowed to buy anything go find 12 solutions to replace 12 expenses. That's it, go. And 12 months later, he gave them the same task again. You know, often IT is trying to build stuff and integrate stuff and make like, whereas often there is a faster, cheaper, leaner way, right? And I think the the big companies are starting to embrace some of these leaner solutions as well. Not for everything, but it doesn't all have to be complicated. And ChatGPT is an example of that, right? Yeah. Some big, will be like, oh, well, it doesn't integrate. It doesn't fucking need to integrate. It just works. Have people figuring out some of these 4,000 AI tools and using some of them in some way to replace 10 or 20 or 30 percent of their hours this week, that cumulative is massive. Absolutely.
1: And you know, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a company we were working with during COVID and they wanted to get everyone MacBook Pros. Well, the weight for a MacBook Pro, you know, at any volume it was like six months or maybe longer. So here they are, like, oh, we can't do anything because we have to wait for these um, these expensive laptops. And we said, well, you know, there is something called desktop as a service, where you could basically load up all the apps. They're in the cloud, and you click a link, and everything you need is there, hosted in the cloud. Looks the same as it is on the desktop. And guess what? Now you can use a, a cheapo Chromebook that's three hundred bucks instead of 2500 and you can get those everywhere and the company's like oh wow i never thought about that so now this company is all all their applications are in the cloud and customized so Cameron has access to certain apps you know Jill has access to other apps and if they ever need it they can be turned on turned off if they ever lose the laptop everything can be disabled and so all of a sudden this company's like wow that's that's a better way to work we never thought about that and that's kind of the type of the what you don't know you don't know um, is so important. And in my experience uh, dealing with executives, I found a tremendous correlation between openness and humility, and ability to um, to grow and innovate. You know, if the, there's that saying, right? If you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room.
0: Right. It's one of the reasons why I think that all executives need to be in a couple of different mastermind communities. Like I love that EO is so strong and EOers will go to the wall for EO, but they should all be in at least one other mastermind as well to cross-pollinate ideas, to take something from the Genius Network and something from the COI. And, so like, and, the, and the idea, I call it ideas having sex and you need to, you need to be in an industry association or an industry mastermind you need to be in one for entrepreneurs you need to be in one that's global like i think it's irresponsible for entrepreneurs in north america to not be very connected to the global entrepreneur community to find out what's happening in the middle east find out what's happening in africa to find out what's happening in europe like i'll tell you mobile is where it's at Right, yeah. everyone's moving to mobile and they're doing it at a pace that's much faster than 90 percent of the companies in the u.s are and if we don't think about that then these other companies from around the world are going to come in and they're going to be able to adopt at a much faster pace. We're trying to block China because of whatever rules we're trying to put in place. But the reality is 30 years ago, China got very good at ripping off our products and reverse engineering them and they could make our products cheaper. But by doing that, they were all of a sudden running so many businesses, they got really good at running businesses. And then all of a sudden they got really good with coming up with ideas and strategy. So now they're better at us in strategy. They're better at us in running companies. They're better at us at making shit. And now we're trying to use the laws to prevent. Like you can't do that with 192 other countries. Like there's a hundred. You know there's. So we need to we need to find out what these other companies or other countries are doing and and connect with that. But if we're all stuck in our bubble where we've got you know I'm in a group of 80 entrepreneurs from Minnesota. Man, you're you're missing the point. Like you you really got to connect with the global community.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, you know, I know you're very passionate about uh, fintech and, you know, you have a lot of experience from the crypto world. I mean, I always find it interesting that, you know, they bring up uh, regulations like the Glass-Siegel Act, you know, that was written in the early 20th century. And my analogy to people is like, think about if the regulatory regime that the airlines followed were written before automobiles were on the road, Right. right. And I mean that's kind of as crazy as it is now. And you know, I also think that you know, regulatory-wise, you see a lot of countries embracing innovation in financial services and communications. And it just seems, at least in the United States, that our whole regulatory regime is slow to broken. Right? That they're not moving fast enough. And that you know, the average person sitting in Congress is, you know, our grandparents' age, and uh, you know barely just figured out how to use email, let alone something new. So I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. Um, and yes. at the same time, you know, you look in the financial services, a lot of companies with uh, innovative financial services have said, we're moving offshore. You know, we can't be in the United States because it's, uh, because it's too complex. Well, that, that's what I did. I mean, I, I left, you
0: know, I'm, I'm Canadian. I was living and working in the United States for eight years. Uh, just under eight years, because after eight years, the United States on a green card can consider me as American for the rest of my life and tax me on worldwide income. There's only two countries in the world that tax you on worldwide income, the United States and Eritrea. So as a Canadian, I had to get out of the US. So I moved to Barbados, where my corporate taxes are 3.5%. My personal taxes are roughly about $20,000 a year, and I'm done. And I only have to go there one day a year. So now now I'm in the process of moving to Dubai, which is just even better and cleaner and more modern and better banking and better roads and better, like it's incredible. Like we have to adopt or die. It's very cool. Very cool.
1: Well, Cameron, it's been great sharing uh, some time with you and your insights. If you have a parting uh, piece of advice for um, a growing company, a company leader that wants to really scale their company having seen so many companies in different stages, what would you suggest to to that leader?
0: I think it's to really remember that our core job as leaders is to grow people. It's to grow our leaders and our managers' skills and confidence so that they can do more. It's to continually delegate more to them to get more and more off our plate, delegate to them and then grow their skills and confidence so they can do all that stuff, and then delegate more to them and grow their skills and confidence so they can do. It's really about growing people.
1: Terrific. Well, Cameron, thank you very much for your time. And to learn more about Cameron, please visit his site, com. We'll have that in the show notes and his COO Alliance. And for all of you, have a great day.
0: You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.